You're listening to a DM podcast. Hey, we are back in the football shed, the podcast for football fans that live in the wrong time zone. My name's John Hewitt, and Jeff Gig is here. G'day. G'day, Jeffa. And it's just the two of us tonight. There's no Roger Gibbs because he's um, fucked off on holiday. Yeah, yeah. The ring of steel is down and Rog makes the most of it in a day. Yeah, he's gone. Um, and we're here for a shed special tonight. So it's a bit of a different one, Jeff. We'll get to talk about referees and learning about the ways referees work and what it all means. Are you excited? I'm pumped. I'm pumped. So we mentioned it on the on the on the shed last week that we um, we met met a few blokes who know a lot more about this stuff than we do, and we're lucky to welcome them on the show tonight. So um, yeah, I'm strapping myself in. I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah. So we are going to have a look at uh, the world of refereeing, um, why you would do it, um, maybe a little bit about who IFAB are because no one really knows. Um, we're going to have a look at VAR because that is the topic of our times no one cares about covid or the u.s election it's all about var <laughs> um and we'll have a look through some recent incidents um that have happened in the premier league that maybe we can get a qualified opinion on rather than the three of us just usually having an argument about um but to help us through this minefield of refereeing um we're joined by presenters of the podcast my life on the line and founders of ref coach which is an organization aimed at supporting local referees Ale and Jack. Hey guys, how are you going? Good evening. Hello boys. Um, Ale, let's start with you. I want to learn a little bit more about Ref Coach. So you set up Ref Coach a little while ago. Can you tell us kind of why you set it up, what it is a bit, so everyone at home can uh, understand a bit more? Sure. So Ref Coach was born, wasn't an original idea. Uh, there are, you know, it was all, was born um, off the back of a few Facebook groups that are all over the place about refereeing. The problem is that when you get onto these Facebook groups, you know, they may have 15,000 members from all over the world, but we call them referee bashing groups because all it is, it's <laughs> people post videos, questions, and people just vomit all over referees. And obviously there's, the problem is that there's all sort of people commenting and there's no real learning. So it's something that there is a group in Italy. Obviously, I'm from Italy if my accent hasn't given it away already. Um, <laughs> there's an Italian group run by an ex-Serie RF and an ex-Serie D uh, assessor. And they do it really well because they do a lot of coaching. Obviously, being an Italian, it's very limited because there's only one country that mm. speaks Italian. And yeah. um, so off the back of it, you know, I tried to get Jack involved, but obviously it was like... I don't understand what's going on here. It's like lots of bibbidi babbidi. Uh, every time was he and I talking about incidents, but that was about it. So this is really where we started. And we said, look, we have an opportunity to create a group, create a community where we can help referees all over the world, especially grassroots, and fill the gap that it's it's a reality in refereeing where until you get to an elite level, you don't get coaching or you get very little coaching or it's always very sporadic or you got to be lucky to be in a certain circle to get elite level coaching so because we're lucky enough that we had this sort of experience and we really care about refereeing we decided to do this and you know we started at the end of april so it was a was a, was a child of lockdown this group and it's grown we have almost two thousand and a half um, members it's going really well people engage a lot yeah we have people from the us from the uk from all over europe uh, here in australia 
And that's what we really do. We really focus ourselves on, co- ourselves on coaching and not just bashing the referee. You do actual kind of training for referees as well. You kind of do courses or a little bit of learning and online courses and stuff. Yeah, off the back of the Facebook group, obviously we started a podcast and we also started some online workshops. We have done four of them. We had about 100 people join us. We tried to cap nice. 25 people. And we had people from Mauritius, <laughs> from Nepal, from India, from the UK, from New York, from Virginia, from Italy, uh, from Greece. There's been a lot of different people calling in and chatting to us, which has been a really, a really exciting experience. You know, we had someone from Iraq as well joining. Um, wow. So all, all over the world. And uh, yeah, it's been good to see the community coming together. There is obviously... Um, you know, a need for more education. And that's where we sort of found our niche. Well, I, I must say, personally, I, I joined your group and I absolutely love it. I know that you feel like I'm going to have to say that because you're guests on our, on our podcast, but <laughs> actually it's been brilliant. I've commented on a few of your posts and I genuinely feel like I'm learning stuff. And because of that, it's quite addictive. So, so <laughs> just for, the, for those listening at home, you know, you post scenarios and videos of scenarios and go, well, what do you think? Is this the right call, the wrong call? Explain why. And that, to me, I absolutely love. It's almost like going to a pub quiz where the, all the questions are about football and it's like <laughs> testing how much you actually know so I've, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the experience so i'm going to stay engaged in it because i think it's just genius what you've done so um, what what do you think about the why though jeff obviously you know it's referee world not uh man in the crowd world you know the, the why of the incidents because oh, it's a free kick but why well that's it you know i find myself i find um myself doubting the opinion that i've got when i when i start re- replying because i'm like look i can't back this up with the laws of the game but in my experience this is what i believe that is and almost i kind of give myself a pat on the head when i'm right but then sometimes <laughs> I'm, I'm reading some of the examples or, or some of the uh, the way that your 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 group members kind of um engage and and explain why they've made the choice i'm like fucking hell you guys you you know your stuff this is absolutely great <laughs> so I, I i thoroughly love it i think what you're doing is is brilliant so jack you're you're a current referee yeah yeah so in uh, in australia yeah yeah in australia so i um ali and i both are immigrants to australia so i moved here when i was 16 i uh started refereeing when i was at school in the uk and um you know like you do when you're that age, you play and, and I refed as well. Um, did one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and then they lived in harmony until I was moved over here until I was about 18 and then um, struggled to get into a team when I moved over here, just um, not knowing people, not knowing anything about the system or anything like that. Um, so got into refing a bit more seriously and, yeah, sort of um, things took off and never really looked back since, I guess. But, you know, when I started refing, I was 14. I didn't think I'd be doing it um, 12 years on. Is it because you couldn't get a game up front? Well, yeah. <laughs> Actually. I, I was a goalkeeper, so I was always a, uh, you know, let's be honest, it's more fun scoring goals than saving them. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you guys have set up a podcast um, called My Life on the Line, and you guys interview uh, ex-referees and current referees and kind of people in sports, psychology, etc. What, what? Tell us a bit more about the podcast, Jack. Yeah, so um, you can't, You did sum it up really well. It's all about humanising referees um, because, you know, and, and we're all guilty of it. I do it myself. You know, I'm a massive Portsmouth fan. I've 
went to Pompey games for years and years and years when I was living over there. And you just shouted the ref. You're not actually shouting at the ref, you know, whether the ref was Graham Pohl or Howard Webb or Mark Housley. You're not shouting at them. You're shouting at what they stand for, the uniform. And that's what most people see referees as. So what we try to do on the podcast is humanise it and show that behind that there is a person and that person cares and that person has different layers and different stories to tell. Um, and the reason we don't just do referees or ex-referees, we try and get that holistic kind of, not just football view, but rounder view. Like you said, psychologists, um, we had Derek Ray on, the, the commentator, and his insight into refereeing was fantastic and um, stuff that I never would have thought of from my perspective because his perspective is so different. So we really try and show that there's so much more to to referees and, and sports officials more broadly, to be honest, than just being that person in the middle that gets shouted at for 90 minutes. <laughs> okay, so right. So you're you're both referees. You're both good. You teach it. You 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 have a podcast. You have a group. This is it. This is your life. So the elephant in the room is you hear commentators going, "Oh, who'd be a referee?" <laughs> so what what is it that keeps you coming back? What is it that, that drives that? Oh, I love it. I just I love it. Um, you, you get a buzz. Um, you never think you would until you start doing it, but it's. You know, A, it's the ability to be at a level of football that I never would have played at. Um, but that's now, right? But that's not why I kept going six, seven years ago. Um, you know, when you start the money's great as a kid, for sure it's better than working at, you know, Asda or Coles or wherever. Um, but along the way, it's a cracking journey. You get involved, you learn so many people skills. For me, that was massive. Um you know, you learn to deal with confrontation. When I was, uh, you know, 16 years old, I was I was refereeing senior football blokes who were double my age. Um, great life lessons, great life skills. I've, I've learned so much along the way, um, which has been fantastic. And That's got to scare the crap out of you, haven't it? Like, have you got yeah. like a 45-year-old fat old bloke who's just going, fuck you, 16-year-old kid, you can't tell me that's a free kick? Yeah, it's, you know, there's some interesting situations I've been in over the years. I remember I was doing, when I was 16, uh, a Masters game. So it was that exact situation. Um, <laughs> and it was just carnage, right? And I, I, I like to think it was nothing to do with me. But in like the 30th minute, someone just turned around and headbutted someone. And 16-year-old <laughs> me is going, what the hell is going on? Like, <laughs> like what? Uh, my dad always tells the story that, when we're in the UK, so I was 15, um, it was refereeing a game, it was like under 13s, and the two parents got in a fight on the sidelines from opposing teams. And I don't remember it, but apparently I picked up the ball and basically said, until you two go sit in your car, I'm not restarting the game. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. This is 15-year-old me. Like, you just, like, that's what so I mean by life skills. That's what I mean by life skills, right? What other opportunity does a 15-year-old or even a 20-year-old have the opportunity to to develop and grow and, and learn like that? So for me, it's it's, been that stuff and, and the people you meet on the journey is great fun and as you you're striving for the next level which obviously keeps you pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing so that's kind of that's why i referee um let's move on to the actual refereeing so jeff do you want to ask some questions about ifab yeah i mean okay what is ifab what the hell who are these guys? How does it work? Because because for those who are listening in other countries or UK or the US or whatever, like this is probably an alien concept to how the rules of the game get administered and set in stone, and it's a pretty kind of archaic, messed up system in, from what I know. But but from your perspective, what on earth is going on? 
Well, maybe I'll talk about what it is, and then Ali can give, I guess, more of a he knows more of the ins and outs of it. So, so IFAB is the the governing body of football. They control the laws of the game. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ali, but I'm pretty sure it's made up of basically England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, um, kind of have a seat, and then FIFA have a seat, and then I somehow the rest of the world are involved too. But but I guess what you'd call you know the home nations of, of football really still run the game um, in, in terms of it's laws a bit of the old game. school. Just like the UK runs it. It's yeah, pretty, um, I, I don't know why it's like that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. But so that, so that's kind of the core of it. And they are the guardians of the laws of the game. Yeah, there's a whole panel of advisors, obviously. The original uh, six confederations where uh, I think originally were, was only four as well, uh, which was England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. Uh, and they're the ones that I think 1886, they founded IFAB. So basically put got together and said, well, enough playing pub football. We're just kicking the hell out of each other. Let's put together some rules. Mm. And um, that's when I think 20 years, about 20 years after after that, when football, you know, they realized, well, football is international. So now there's a lot of people that obviously sit on the, on the advisory board and uh, there's a lot of influence by UEFA, FIFA and all the other confederations that obviously have a say in it. Um, so... Really, it's become very much more international, uh, takes in consideration a lot of different factors because football, even though it should be the same everywhere, we very well know that the style changes based on the country. So you know, every year we see rule changes. Every day, yeah. year we see updates to certain rules. They try and tweak, they try and get things better. That's driven by IFAB, correct? Yeah. Yes and no, actually. Because, um, as a matter of fact, uh, Chaferin, the UEFA president, have just submitted a request to IFAB to review the handball rule uh, mm. because it's obviously creating lots of complications. So, this is a news I'm pretty sure came out last week or two weeks ago. So, it's been officially requested that the IFAB sit down and review the, the, the laws. Okay, so the laws come from IFAB, but they can be petitioned by another governing body. They can say, look, this needs to be addressed. There's enough weight behind it. Please address this and come back to us with what you've got. Yeah, put it this way. Football evolves. You know, the football we see today, it's not the football that was played even just 10 years ago. Mm. So their rules need to evolve with football. Uh, You know, the laws have been trying to push towards less red cards, less penalties or you know think about the triple punishment with a yellow card in a penalty area uh, if it's a penalty and a footballing challenge that was solely a change made to you know enhance football less red cards let's not punish a player that is trying to play football and just makes a mistake think about keepers that are trying to save a ball one-on-one really do you want them do you want to stop them from trying to save a, to make a save no it's not fair it's not what football wants so there's been this need to evolve with football but also you need to think that because now there's 8000 cameras at every game uh, obviously the scrutiny over each decision it's massive so there's also been a need of moving their laws from opinions to more factual situations and that's where offside for example it's gone very factual it's like it's really black and white. Um, can, I, can I jump on something you said before, before we move on to, to offside? Mm-hmm. Can I just jump on something you said, Ale? Uh, yeah. You said it's not what football wants. So is that a ref- does that kind of imply that there is a, a, a reflection on the rules versus from 
from the fans. Essentially, you know, what, what the footballing community drives change in football, or football sets parameters, and the footballing community has to just accept it. Do you believe that there is a cycle there? Absolutely. I think, you know, what we say in refereeing is that referees need to have game empathy. You need to understand and feel the game because, you know, football is a spectacle. People pay money to go watch games. And if we do not referee to some extent towards what people want, obviously you ruin the spectacle for everyone. Yeah, so it is entertainment, isn't it? It is. And that's the thing, you know, I always like to say, because we mentioned IFAB, IFAB makes the rules, yeah? Referees enforce them. But mm-hmm. I am, you know, I can guarantee you referees not always love the rules. We have to enforce them, but sometimes <laughs> we bloody hate them because we don't think they're fair, because we think they're too complicated. You know what? Just like any other football fan. Mm. I'll, let, I'll let you go, John, because I've got lots. Go. Yeah, well, no, yeah. <laughs> Um, I was going to move on to VAR because we have mentioned offside. Um, and mm-hmm. as I said at the start of the show, VAR is the topic of our time, not COVID um, or the US election <laughs> is VAR. Um, but, um, and I guess, Jack, from your angle, having um, been a uh, fourth referee, um, fourth official, um, and used VAR um, in a live situation, I guess from your end, what's it like to use it as a referee? Um, look, I think so. We've had it in the A League for, uh, I think we'll be coming up for our fourth season, maybe our third full season. We had it that right at the start. We were one of the first leagues in the world to have it. Came in right at the end of the season for basically for a couple of rounds plus finals, and then we started using it for the full season. So it was a huge adjustment, right, um, for everyone. And, and I'm kind of, I guess, lucky as a fourth official. Very rarely do I need to get involved with VAR. Um, which is great for me being relatively new to the league. It's a pressure that I don't have to deal with. But I know the referees and the assistants did have to change quite a bit. For example, you know, we touch on offside. Um, You know, when it's really close now, um, the assistants are instructed to keep their flag down so that if the ball goes in the back of the net, they can check the VAR. Well, that's a massive mindset shift for the, the assistant referees because if you're used to being dead in line and making a snap decision and backing yourself on 100% on that snap decision and that we've got guys in the league who have been on the league for 15 years, so they've known to, that's been their bread and butter for 15 years and we've got guys in the A-League, some of the assistants are the best in the world, um, having to change that for VAR, huge shift, incredibly difficult. Um, and, and it still happens, right? Because you have, um, for example, in Australia on the A-League, we have VAR, but then the same officials will go do FFA Cup where we don't have VAR. So you're having to change how you referee a little bit. Your mindset has to change purely between games. So even now there is adapting to it. Um, but I think overall, right, it's here to stay and it's a talking point. Uh, football is a game of opinions, right? So it's always going to be a talking point. It's never going to be perfect, even if it is perfect we'll find ways as football fans to say it's not perfect. But With, I think the way I look at it... So, yeah, back. go on, John. I was going to say, look, if I make a howler, do I want the chance to fix it? Yes. And VAR gives me that opportunity because we're going to make mistakes. Maybe I don't see something, right? It's the way it is. It's life. If I can have the opportunity to fix that problem, and sure, it's going to look a bit messy and because it's that's fine. That is what it is. But at the end of the day, you'd rather have the correct outcome um, yeah, in, that's from my perspective as a ref. On the offside, so the ref, the argument that comes up on the football shed all the time is 
whether the frame that it's frozen on is the frame where your foot touches the ball. So there's 25 frames per second or whatever yeah. it is on a HD video. And that, that frame that they've chosen is the 25th of a second that they say that that's when the ball... And then you've got two guys running at 30 Ks in opposite directions, and they've decided that that frame is the one where the ball has hit the foot and then that they decide the line that is a millimetre out. How have they come to that as the best? How can they say it's a fact when we don't know what the frame, we don't know if it's a fact? Yeah. Well, I, I think, <laughs> you know, the, the way you've described it, right, shows it's really tricky. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I don't know the, I can't tell you that IFAB's thinking behind it. I don't know. I don't know how they decided that or how they got to that or, yeah. or whatever. I, I, I don't know. Um, but you know, I can talk to um, most of the leagues in the world you'd use Hawkeye um, as their mm. system. So same guys who do the tennis um, who are fantastic for us in, in Oz. Um, and they have technology um, that is, you know, it's been deemed to be the best in the world. Um, IFAB went through a very, very strict tender po- process um, because remember the first time really we saw VAR used was at a World Cup. So they're not going to take any chances with using what they think is a second-rate technology on a World Cup. So this is what they think is the best in the world. Um, and they, you know, they have technologies. A lot of it is done for them. Um, so, yeah, all I can, you know, Hawkeye do their their best to give the correct answer. But but how, why they say, oh, it has to be this one or that one, I, unfortunately, I can't answer it. I don't know. I think the first the first bit too, you know, I always like, and that's where I get a bit geeky and nerdy about the laws of the game, but I do love rules. Uh, I'm a re- I was a referee shock. Um, I think, you know, when with offside, it's interesting because there's been obviously lots of talks, but the first thing to consider is that this is actually written in the laws, but offside must be considered from the first touch, from the first point of mm-hmm. contact. So if you can identify that frame, that's half of the job done. So mm-hmm. that's how you identify a frame. And then there is this software which provided by Hawkeye, which is called Cross Air. X, I think, um, and it's you know make makes these projections and it's accurate to the millimeter. Um, obviously, operating it takes a lot of time, and that's why the video operators take a lot of time to get trained in it. Um, so you know, I think it's the way we're looking at it is well, what should an assistant be able to see? Now it's almost inhuman to be able to identify that split millisecond that split frame in real life. And trust me, if you ever run a line, oh, I freaking hate it. Being a, it's the <laughs> hardest job on the pitch. Oh, you'd it's be, harder you than could, refereeing in the middle. Why oh, harder? You could, be, really? you could be there 90 yeah. minutes doing nothing under the rain, getting bored as hell. And in the 91st minute, there is a massive offside, super close that you have to call and you've been bored and destructive for 90 minutes. So you have to bring your attention level from zero to 200 like that. Mentally, and you're called mentally, under, mentally it's, it's crazy. Um, Can I just confirm? So, you, so it's the point of contact. So it's it's not the point of release. So they're not looking for daylight Correct. between the ball and the foot. It's the it's the other side, which first, you yeah. argue is that that's easier to define than the point of release. Exactly. Isn't it? So even if the ball exactly. was touching the foot for a whole second, you know, if it was a Burkamp esque scoop, <laughs> it's not the point where the ball lets go. It's the point point where he puts his toe under the ball. 
Is that correct? Exactly, 100%. So low 11 is the law in the lowest that defines offside. And there is a little asterisk at the bottom of the first page that says the first point of contact of the play or touch of the ball should be used. For okay, yeah. is, there, is there a bit in law 11 that says Patrick Bamford isn't allowed to point? <laughs> I believe it's actually in the in the interpretations. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about that when you saw that? What did you think about it? He was offside. He was given offside, so he's pointed to his teammate. Play it through here, yeah. and he said, "Play it through to me." And they've checked the offside, and they've done the offside off of where his t-shirt is, because I think that's the new rule: is the yeah, the, the, the frame of t-shirt is um where. So because he's pointed to where he wants the ball, it's played through to him. He goes and scores. But he's given offside. If he hadn't pointed, and he'd just run, he wouldn't been given offside. So it's a bit of a yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I do. Look, I think, again, because of the ability of this software to be so accurate, mm. it's you can't complain about that. Uh, you know, it's one mm. of those things where before VAR, we would spend days, oh, but we can see it on the TV. But why didn't the referee do that? Oh, but that was offside. <laughs> that wasn't offside. Now that we can do it, people are complaining, oh, but now we are giving offsides for a player pointing. I'm like, well, that's what we've been asked for for years. Uh, you're so, spot on. And as soon as we get everything perfect, we're going to say the game's sterile. And you've taken yeah, the fun out of it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, you cop a goal and you score a goal and gets taken away from VAR. Really what burns is that you thought you scored and now you're pissed. Yeah. So you know what? Well, of course you're going to complain. And that's fine. Yeah. You know? Look, I love it because when Everton concede a lot of goals and when Everton concede a goal, I've got like a second chance. I'm like, oh, Everton have conceded a goal. <laughs> Shit. Hey, one minute, one minute. It, yeah, it's not a goal. You know, I love it. I think it's great. <laughs> yeah. I do think the offside, it's a bit messy because sometimes obviously, you know, and also what the referees actually see in the box are not necessarily what gets uh, broadcasted. So mm. all the projections and all the sort of stuff that they see with the software, it's not the actual screen that they show on TV. So it might that might have been a foot and that's just what's been spitted out, which is wrong. So, you know, I have a lot of trust in this software. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of conversation and seen a lot of presentations by referees and all the sort of stuff about this. It's almost infallible. Uh, you know, it takes yeah, some okay. time sometimes because it's all, again, it's operated by humans and humans mm. are not perfect. But the machine, <laughs> the software is. So as long as a human does their job properly, 100% accurate. Jack, do you reckon you could define for me in an offside scenario, last question on offside, what yeah. is interfering and what isn't interfering? And the reason I ask this kind of question is we've had a couple recently where someone's shot and it's gone in and there might be a player stood offside who stood in front of the goalkeeper and he might not be touching the ball, but then he's in the way of the goalkeeper, so he's interfering. And then we've had one where someone stood a yard to the side and they've shot and the keeper can see it and then it goes in and it's okay. So what, as a referee, what is the actual definition of what's interfering with play? Well, maybe I'll throw to Ale for what is the actual definition because I can't recite the laws of the game like he can. Mm -hmm. And then maybe I can give, a, I guess, a practical thought process behind it. So in this particular situation, so offside, there can be three reasons for a player being in offside, basically. And uh, the second point, um, so the first one would be interfering with play by playing or touching the ball, which is obvious, you play the ball. The second is gaining an advantage, 
by playing the ball or interfering with an opponent when the ball is rebounded or has been deliberately saved. So the classic shot and goalkeeper saves it and you're offside and get the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second point is what you were just talking about. So interfering with an opponent by uh, preventing an opponent by playing or being able to play the ball or clearly obstructing the opponent's line of vision. So there you go. That's the example of the goalkeeper. If you're obstructing the goalkeeper line of vision, that's when you are offside. Um, obviously, challenging an opponent for the ball as well uh, is part of this particular scenario, which is interfere, which we, interfering, which means you're not actually playing the ball, but because of your actions, an opponent could not play the ball in a fair manner. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. So it doesn't have to be line of vision. It's just a fair manner. So I could be standing two yards to the left of the goalkeeper, but screaming at him, distracting him, and that would be unfair. So that would be that would be offside. That's actually another offence altogether. Yeah, it's a bit oh, different. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But for example, actually, because you because you, you lads know all the Premier League stuff, and I was so impressed when listening to your podcast about how much stuff you know. But I remember there was an episode a few years back uh, when this law actually came in place, when I'm pretty sure it was uh, a Liverpool and West Ham game where Liverpool scored a goal. There was a, a cross from the wide left and an attacker tried to kick the ball. He was in an offside position, leaped with his leg up, tried to kick the ball, completely missed it. But the goalkeeper, thinking that he was going to hit the ball, he stopped dive. and didn't dive. Yeah, and mm. the ball went in the back of the net. So that's offside because he's interfering with an opponent because he's influencing his actions. Of course, yeah. So the goalkeeper thought, oh, he's going to shot, so I need to stop. So he is interfering with the goalkeeper that way. So it's not necessarily just the line of vision. But yeah. But that's where, yeah, so that's where, um, you know, it used to be offside was purely the decision of the assistant referee, but this is where now it also becomes the responsibility of the referee in these exact incidents. Um, and a few other similar situations, but you know, in this one, so the example is, you know, um, a player is taking a shot outside the 18 yard box. Um, and it's a classic as a player in an offside position. Is he in the goalkeeper's view or is he not? So the assistant referee who's on the side, he can see that that player is in an offside position, but from his angle, he's not going to be able to tell if the player interfering or not. And that's where, you know, me as a referee, I need to be in the correct position to be able to view that. And in that case, it's, it's quite simple. You know, is the player blocking is the attacker blocking yep. the goalkeeper's view and preventing him from being able to fairly save the ball? That, that's quite a simple situation. Um, and, you know, obviously, I guess the more elite level of football, we have the communication set. So it can generally be quite a smooth process. Um, but that's the classic, you know, it, it park football where the, the lino puts his flag up and the referee goes over for a chat and, um, you know, everyone stands there with bated breath as, as to what the decision is going to be. But, yeah, it's made offside uh, more complex, but also it requires a lot of teamwork um, to be able to judge it correctly. Can I ask about another specific incident? And um, so this this happened a few weeks ago. That if you haven't seen it, I'll describe it for you. So this was in the Spurs-Brighton game where um, Spurs were attacking. Harry Kane took a dive in the box. Uh, and then Son took a dive in the box, and they were uh, the referee called. Do you, do you know this incident? They, they called play on both times. Brighton um, countered, went down the other end. Harry Kane was fouled just outside the penalty area. Play was carried on, and then Brighton scored a goal. Spurs were going mad. They were saying that was a foul. That was a foul. You look at on TV, it was a foul. Went to VAR. Went to the screen on the side. 
and the ref still said no foul goal stands do, do you remember this incident did you did you watch that yeah, a few weeks ago yeah Lamp- scored didn't he yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. Right. yeah. Um, He's in my brother's fantasy team, so I heard about him. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I wanted to, to get your insight with is not, you know, disagreeing with VAR or whatever, but as a as a referee, right, you've just seen two players take a dive and then you've seen mm-hmm. one of those players who took a dive 30 seconds later get fouled properly. Do you feel, is there any part of you when you're the man in the middle that feels like, you know, that's evened itself up? Or is there any kind of subplot that, that, that you're you're keeping that you're keeping tight that are, are lets you, you let the, okay. are you looking for the clickbait headline here Referees no no not at all. <laughs> I, just wanna, I, I just want to know whether you know because that's the commentary isn't it that, that's what's yeah. discussed after that yeah. and it's very very rare that i get the opportunity to ask someone who might have been in a similar situation actually how would you feel in that instance would you yeah. would you feel that you know maybe this thing was balancing itself out and you're just gonna let it play on or or i don't know how does it, how would that feel yeah i guess in that specific incident right so the referee you think harry kane and, and son have dived the ref didn't give anything so you know obviously he's uh, not a judge it to be simulation um, he he's said it's play on it's whether it's fair contact or whatever, um, and then yeah he's gone up the other end. He, he's um, you know what's happened happened. Uh, you know VAR has done the right thing in that situation for VAR. That's a big tick. You've done the right thing because they've called the ref over and said, hey, look, we think there's a clear and obvious error here. Um, we're putting it back on you to make the decision because that's what football said it wanted. It wants the referee to make the decision, not a man in the box. And we saw that last year in the Premier League um, when the referees weren't using the screens and it was quite frustrating. They were just getting told in their ear by someone from Stockley Park. So they've adapted, they've listened, they've changed. VAR calls the ref over and then it becomes the referee's decision and it again becomes a human decision, right? So um, VAR tick, yes, the referees probably made an error there. Unfortunate. Um but to come back to your question, it's a funny one, right? I remember when I was a kid and I'd go to the football with my dad, he'd always say, oh, um, if we got you know a soft penalty given against us, he goes, don't worry, when someone goes down in the box for us, we'll get it because the ref's already given a soft penalty. And <laughs> funny, I used to believe it as a kid and and then, um, you know, got into refereeing and everything. And uh, unfortunately, it's, it's a myth rather than a, a fact. Um, you know, you... Uh, you, I can't say there's a referee out there who who would say, oh, you know, oh, he's just dived there, so stuff him. I'm just not going to give it yeah. against him. Um, look, there's game, there's game management, right? <laughs> there's game management where you're going to let some things go more than others, and that's game to game. You know, if it's a really mm-hmm. fast-paced, quick counter-attacking game, you're going to try and give as few fouls, fouls as possible because it's really exciting. It's really quick. Um, but then you're going to referee potentially a different game. You know, if it's a derby where it's really difficult to control, you're going to give lots more fouls because you want to maintain control of the game, right? So it's going to differ game to game. Absolutely. What's a foul in one thing might not be in the other. Uh, and that's game to game. But no, I'd like to think, um, you know, what what you said and what my dad said is a myth, not a fact. <laughs> I'd probably get off with your old man then. <laughs> On that, um, Ale, does, does reputation come in it? into it at all so if you're refereeing Joey Barton um or Mario Balotelli or anyone that you go oh they're a bit uh they've got a bit of a reputation of as a bad guy or whatever 
does that come into it? If someone gives does a foul and you're like, oh, it's that guy again. I refereed him last season and he got he headbutted someone or whatever. Does that come into it as a ref? Yeah, you you do your homework mm. prior to the game. You know, and this starts from lower leagues, from for example the MPL in Victoria, obviously. And another thing is that you referee the same teams over and over again. So you actually build a relationship and you know people. You know, I'm not going to make names, but in my career, so many times, knowing players, I have gone maybe a little bit too far, but knowing that they would go down a little bit too easy, you pull them up straight away on it. And the first foul they they concede, unless it's a clear and obvious foul, you let it go and be like, you're not getting easy ones today, mate. But because you know the players, you know how they play, you know that there's maybe there's a bit more, there's a bit crazier players, someone it's a bit more of a, you know, loose cannon, then maybe you talk to them in a different way. You have to be a bit of a psychologist when you're a referee because, again, you're a human dealing with humans. And even though you, it, it doesn't really emerge from the telly when we watch a game because no one really cares about the referee until they give a penalty, um, you know, there's that human relationships that you build and there's a lot of communication that goes on. And understanding players, knowing their habits, knowing what they do, the knowing teams also as as a whole, like you know, everyone talks about Man United get getting a lot of penalties, but why do they get lots of penalties? It's because they play in a in a way, and they have attackers that get in the box and dribble a lot and like to play in the box. So you know what? Of course, they're gonna get a lot more fouls in the box. <laughs> it's just the, st- the style of football they play, you know. But then you have other players like you know, again, I go for Inter. Uh, and Martin, M- Martinez, which is one of our forwards, you know, really young, mm. g- g- great player. He goes down every time someone, blo- you know, just walks past him. And I hate it. <laughs> I hate it as a, as a supporter, but as a referee. Because I'm like, dude, just stand up and play. And he never gets given anything. Because you know what? After two years playing in the league, referees know that. And the times that he may get kicked and there's a foul against him, but because he goes down all the time, he just doesn't get it. But that's because you have the reputation. So, you know, when you're seeing things live, you know, when you referee, half of the times it's gut feelings and experience versus actually knowing 100% what happened. But it's knowing, having seen that incident 100 billion times that you know exactly what's happened, even though it's in a split second. And having that knowledge of the teams and how players play, their habits, if they're crazy or if they're calm, uh, if I can talk to you or if I just have to go to a card, uh, you know, knowing that before the game, lots of times make the difference between refereeing a game and managing it properly without problems versus absolute chaos. Yeah. Jack, I'll end this one at you. That's that's great, Ali. I love that. Um, have you ever given anyone a penalty for not going down? So there was a, there was an incident in the Liverpool-Man City game, or I'll, I'll put this in context, where Raheem Sterling was through and... He stayed out. He stayed on his feet. A robust challenge went in. It was above the thigh, so he he was off balance and he got his shot away. Um, but he didn't get a penalty. And I I think if you know it could have been fifty percent um, less bad, and he would have gone down and got a penalty. Like it was it was a it was a, it should deserved one. But he stayed on his feet and didn't get anything. Would you as a ref? You know, would it take courage to give someone a penalty for not going down in that instance, or or does it just not happen? Yeah, I think it definitely would take courage, and I'll probably turn the question around and say, well, what would you expect, right? If you just watching in the game yeah. and the player doesn't go down, there's a bit of contact. What would you expect? No penalty. Yeah. But then all that does is is, is it 
forces the players to to make a decision and go down or else they're not going to get anything you know and and that's when you say you know what does football want football doesn't want center forwards to go down with a slight touch football wants them to try and get their shot away but if they yeah. know that they're not going to get a penalty in that situation if they don't because you know it would feel strange then yeah. then we were only yeah. left with the scenario that we've got at the moment that's also true jeff and i think in in a perfect world that would be fantastic right where if a player only went down because he did by his own accord that would be great and that would be this ideal football world potentially sterile football world (laughs) Um, unfortunately it's not the truth right so the you know refereeing in that non-perfect world is a lot harder a a lot harder and there's so many different factors you have to think about when you when you judge it you know it is when you get that clear foul of a you know defender clearly fouls the attacker it's a clear foul takes him out you go great it's easy uh, the situations you talk about are a lot harder to to judge. I mean, they're harder to judge when you're sitting at home watching TV, let alone when you're out there. So, yeah, it's it's hard to give an answer because you know no two situations are the same. Um, so it's almost impossible to answer it like that. But yeah, you say that happened. You, you gave a you gave a penalty for someone not going down. Yeah, it was uh, Bentley Greens versus Shepparton uh, a few years back, and. Uh, the big man, the, the captain, he was in the penalty area and he just got kicked. And he stood up because he was twice the size of the defender and he just looks at me. And I was there, so I saw it, I gave it. And he accepted it. But everyone else looks at me and goes like, what the fuck was that for? And I'm like, well, you absolutely kicked him, kicked the shit out of him. You know, it's like from behind, what am I going to do? I saw it. And funnily enough, the defender knew. So he kind of goes, yeah, that's fair. But everyone else had no idea because obviously, uh, yeah. you know, he didn't go they down. Didn't so didn't go like, down. Yeah. yeah, they're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like, to be honest, once I did it, I kind of regretted it because how do you explain that? As Jack said, mm-hmm. it's impossible. No one expects that. And, you know, I was probably a little bit of a zealot back then, but uh, I got there, I saw it, I was like, yep, I saw it. No, no oh, I was a very <laughs> flamboyant Italian referee. Very flamboyant. <laughs> we are running a little bit out of time, and Rog will kill us if we don't ask you about handball. So we yes. have to ask about dun, handball. Dun, dun. Be- because uh, I think it seems like a right place to end in the never-ending question of handball. Um <laughs> We've seen so many penalties given this year in the Premier League um, for various handballs. There was last week or the last round of Premier League football, there was um, Joe Gomez for Liverpool against Man City and he was about 10, 15 yards away and it's hit his arm as he's leading out. And then for Wolves-Leicester in the same weekend, there was Max Kilman um, and the ball is about two metres from him and it's volleyed in and it smacks him on the arm and he's just moving that way. Can either of you, and I'll open this to the floor, tell us what the handball rule is? What do you think, Jack? The silence speaks for me. That's the best. I think, so IFAB tried to make handball a lot more factual, right? By saying if your arm's above the shoulder, et cetera, et cetera. They put in place all of these things, um, which I think football wants it to be clearer, um, and they've tried to do that. But it's a big change and with a big change, there's going to be teething problems. And like Ale touched on earlier, you know, UEFA have asked for that review 
Um, unfortunately, I think handball is one of the hardest rules in football, and it's never going to be perfect unless you say if it touches the hand, it's handball. But then that's not fair. Um, so it's going to be they, they've made this big shift. It's a lot of challenges in this year. There's a couple of incidents you t- touched on there, John, right? Um, but it's going to be iterative. It's going to take time and it's going to take a lot longer for world leagues around the world to all get on the same page. IFAB have kind of made a big decision to make it more factual because they want it to be more consistent, but there's going to be a lot of, a lot of teething problems, unfortunately. And you're never going to agree on everything either. Like you get referees in the room and you can put a handball clip up and you can genuinely get a 50, 50 split. Um, and, and that's at the top level right through to, you know, grassroots referee in the room. Um, so it's an incredibly difficult thing, but hopefully it's only going to get better. Ale, what about you? What's your thoughts on the handball? Yeah. Do you I, know what the rule is? Uh, not really. I'm still trying to understand it from the the old, uh, the, the new changes. No, I'm joking. But um, I do agree with Jack. It's It's been really hard to implement the new changes. It's gone to a very factual sort of approach where before there was, oh, how far it is, how quick it is. Now it's more, did a player took a risk by being in that position? Well, tough it is. That's what it is. Uh, so it, that's where it's going more with, with the current interpretation. But at the same time, there's things that I don't think are fair because, you know, sometimes you just can't control yourself. Uh, there's also been a problem, I think, in the Premier League where I think it's always been a bit of a different interpretation than the rest of the world. Uh, some of the penalties you've, you've seen this year in the, in the Prem, they've been, you know, there were, there were penalties last year in the rest of the world, in the Champions League, in Serie A, La Liga. And that's also because there's been a different implementation of VAR. Um, so that's, you know, when you look at the numbers, the stats are ridiculous since the implementation of VAR, penalties have gone through the roof because there's a lot of stuff that used to be missed. So there is a lot of work to do, I think, on handball. And uh, personal opinion, the laws are not written extremely clearly. It's still too open to interpretation, which is creating lots of confusion. Um, again, as, as I said before, football keeps evolving, laws keep evolving. So they will evolve and hopefully one day we'll get to the point where everyone's going to be happy with it. But let's be honest, whenever you get a penalty against your team for a handball, you're never going to be happy with it. It's so always wrong. That's something <laughs> yeah. we're always, yeah, always going to have to deal with that. It used to feel like, um, you know, how many times have you heard in your life, oh, if that was anywhere else on the pitch, it'd be a foul. But that's that like yeah. that's said every week in every country in the world, <laughs> and, and but the thing is, it used to feel like the crime fit the punishment. Like it, to get a penalty, you had to be sure. Like yes, it might be a foul anywhere else on the pitch, but a penalty is quite a big punishment. So yeah. the referee has to be sure that that is a penalty. So they might go it's fifty fifty middle of the park. Yeah, foul, foul because because of everything you said about you know your your pre existing knowledge of the player. You're trying to manage the game, manage the flow. But you used to feel like when it was a penalty, it was a penalty. You were sure of it. And now it feels like it's almost fairer. It's almost this, uh, if it's a foul, it's a foul. And if it's in the box, that's a penalty. And if it's outside the box, it's free kick. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, but are you talking about handball or just fouls yeah, but, in general? Or just fouls in general. But then we're getting more penalties, obviously, because of it. Because it's not the crime doesn't necessarily fit the punishment. But there's also, you know, there's a lot of... Nothing's changed in the laws, though, <laughs> for for that to be true. Um, yeah. Nothing's changed. Uh, VAR coming in, sure, but VAR should only pick up on clear and obvious errors um, mm. for penalties. Um, so, so nothing's 
changed, you know, and maybe refs were missing clear and obvious errors because it's hard. Um, but but apart from that, nothing's really changed. So um, yeah, okay. I've got I've got one final question for you both, just a quick one. Um, mm-hmm. What happens if you support the club you're refereeing? Yeah, good question. So I can speak um, for the U- what they do in the UK. Yeah. Obviously, because there's a lot more um, teams. Once you get to a certain level, I believe it is the National League, but don't quote me on that. You, you have to declare. Um, you fill in a form at the start of each season and you declare an allegiance. Um, so, you know, whether you support, um, you know, I support Portsmouth, but the, the local non-league team was having Waterloo, but maybe you support them. Um, you <laughs> declare it. Uh, or, you know, Mike Dean, don't know if you saw the videos of him at the playoff final with, uh, he's a big Tranmere fan. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. He was so he's never stadium. referee Tranmere. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think there's something around the rules about you can't referee teams from the postcode that you live in as well in the UK. Um, but it, it's it's declared. Obviously, in Australia, it's very different because football is not really ingrained in the cultures so much here yet. Um, hopefully, one day it will be. Um, but no, you know, still, if you are a diehard A-League team supporter, you will not be refereeing them, obviously. Yeah, I think it comes down to the referee. You know, a referee, say someone... Say I supported Melbourne Victory and I was refereeing those games, I would probably tell DFFA, look, um, I used to go to every game and throw flares in the middle of the pitch every time I could. Uh, maybe don't appoint me to those games. Thank you so much for talking to us. Um, it's Pleasure. been bloody great learning about refereeing. And I feel like now, Jeff, when we talk to Rog on the shed next time, we're going to be right and Roger's going to be wrong because yes. he wasn't here. <laughs> <laughs> One nil us. Um, before we go, if anyone wants to get in contact with you guys, um, is a budding referee or whatever, wants to get involved in ref coach or um, check out the podcast, My Life on the Line, where do they go? What's the best place for them to head? Yeah, so so the group which which Jeff has joined and is uh, participating in is uh, best way to do is just search ref coach on um on facebook or facebook.com slash group slash ref coach and it will take you straight there uh, and you can join and, and be part of the community part of the conversation um like you touched on the podcast is on all the usual channels uh, your spotify's google's apples uh, and we've got our website refcoach.org um or you'll find us on all the socials uh, ally is very active on our on our socials uh, it does a bit on the twitter uh, there's an incident going on he publishes uh, publishes a few articles on games. He, he did a write up of the Champions League final and a reflection on the referee performance. So yeah, plenty going on there. Yeah. And unfortunately, also the Europa League final, which I got up at five o'clock to watch into. <laughs> oh god! Oh, that would have been painful. I was I was so pissed the whole day. My wife, she was like, "What's wrong with you?" And I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Jack and Ale, thank you so much for your time tonight. It's been really great talking to you. Um, For everyone listening at home, we will be back soon. Don't forget, if you want to get in contact, just head to Facebook and you can join our new group. We have a new group now, Shedders and Volleys on Facebook, so you can talk nonsense about football Um, and maybe a bit of refereeing this week. Um, And of course, you can always email us at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everybody at home. Cheers. See you guys. See you guys.